Welcome to the Backwards Infect at Twitter and Gmail under that same name. I have just one question for you. How soon is now? Howdy, howdy. We meet How again. How are you, sir? Doing good. Merry Christmas. It is nearly Christmas time. I guess Christ would be fitting fitting to talk about. I did want to talk about the key of soul, subject, ob- object, location. Um, mind's eye has also been topic of conversation lately and then, you know, in-depth meditation and why that seems to close off like a blindfold at night. One of the tips that we got from, I guess you would say a mentor, Gene Hart, was the key of soul, which is subject, object, location. And basically what it is, it's a reality check that you do throughout the day. Kind of like little meditation moments. And also kind of like, you know, reminding yourself to recognize the breathing. So it's kind of right in right in line with that, but it, it takes it a, a little bit step further. You know, the subject being yourself, being aware of yourself, and then object, something that you're attached to at that moment that you kind of separate from and realize, and then location, how did you get to where you're at in that very moment? And this is what is called a reality check, I guess, in terms of something you can do to help train the activity during the day to help translate at night when you're sleeping. So basically it's like training is what you're doing during the day subconsciously or whatever it may be that, that you would become in theory, become aware during a lucid dream where you're unaware and just continue to practice that for, for the sake of mimicking what you do in the day. So at night, but yeah, that's one of the things I've been doing. It has been a dry spell as far as like actually going beyond lucid dreams. Like we, I had those couple experiences and then realized that possibly, and I, I know we talked this on, on, on the phone earlier, like the trying is so subtle because when I first had those two experiences, you told me like a couple things and I laid my head down and I had like a couple things in my head. I'm like, just make an affirmation. I'm going to do this. And I, just, I literally, I told you the next day, I was like, there was no effort. There was no effort involved. So when you do have an experience, you know, it kind of excites you, but then it, you know, it leads into expectation and it leads into, you know, obviously we told the story because we, we seem to be somewhat on a spiritual path together, but 
for some reason, the effort that can be so, so subtle can get in the way of, you know, you having more experiences. So just trying to apply different things during the day and, and see how you get beyond that. That's kind of where I'm at right now. And the meditate, it's sent me into like more committed meditations. And then at night, so far I go this way. So far I go unaware in the subconscious at night. So it's, it's like a yo-yo thing going on right now. Having really committed meditations, but waking up at night and I'm, ha- you know, some unaware dream. Yeah. So subject, like you want to just take the moment, like take a breath and you want to get to, I am, you want to bring the subject all the way to, I am, I am the awareness. I am, I am inside. I am everywhere. I am. So you want to, you want to really almost like a micro meditation, like spend a couple of breaths on that. I am. And then through that process, especially if you've set a timer, we were, we were talking about like some lucid alarm apps, just reminding you to do reality checks during the day. And through that embracing of the, I am, was there anything I was identified with before? So was I completely entrenched in my work or was I completely thinking about like some, you know, current event news story? Like where was I and was I attached to something? Correct. Is that what you're doing? That sounds perfect. And then, I mean, you can also have some fun stuff with like synchronicity and So you can do the reality check like during a synchronicity and like use the synchronicity as the alarm for the reality check. And those are fun because like the subject and the object kind of merge, which is a good place to be. So subject, you know, I am object synchronicity, whatever's happening but that's the whole point of a synchronicity is like your awareness is kind of merging with the environment. So you can also use it in that way. I found where that subject and the object are kind of blurring together a little bit. And then location, you were saying that was more difficult for you. Is that right? We spoke a couple of days ago and I think you clarified it a little bit better when a location, I just go backwards in my mind's eye to how did I get here? Like if I'm sitting in this chair and I'm doing a reality check and I went to get a glass of water, I will picture myself walking upstairs and how I got to this location. Like the last 10 or 15 seconds that put me here, that's, that's yep. as far back as I'm going, not going back further than what what's the last 30 seconds that got me to this chair yeah and 15 whatever it may be 
And the location, that's one where you can kind of use that one in reverse too, because there are times not as frequent anymore, but it definitely still happens, especially like when you're driving or something and there'll be a gap. It's like, well, how did I get here? Like sometimes you ask the, you ask the location question first, like, geez, how did I get here? Like, which is revealing the amount of unawareness that just took place. So the location is reminding you to do a reality check then. So you can have that, point of view where you're kind of starting off with location but yeah for me the location i'm just i'm making it clear that as of right now i am i am not identified with thought and i am in my responsibilities of form like in my day so it's just a declaration of it like for sure i'm in my responsibilities of form and like the reverse of, of that or like the other side of that coin would be like in the dream realm you know i am maybe i'm not identified with something but is this a responsibility of my form you'd want that question to come up there and you'd want to be clued in wait this isn't one of my f- form responsibilities Wait, I might not even be in form right now. So that constant reaffirming that I know for sure I'm in form, I'm in my responsibilities, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. But building that, um, just like you said, just building that reality check in. And another one with the location that you can kind of play around with, um, one of them is doorways. And if you look back on your day and you're just going through doorways all day, at that moment going through the doorway, a quick reality check like why are you so sure like what's on the other side of that doorway like use the doorway as a doorway into your own imagination into your own uncertainty but every time we go through a doorway like in our responsibilities of form because it's a doorway we've gone through a zillion times we know for sure what's on the other side of that doorway and we just go in and we just confirm the environment that we already knew was there. But if you kind of step back from that and say, I'm going to pretend I'm going through a doorway and I, I don't know what's on the other side of this door. And if you can do that from a position of heart and do it consistently, that's another thing that I think will translate into the dream world. Well, that's a perfect suggestion because I'm going off as you're saying that in my mind's eye as though you're opening Pandora's box in that doorway because exactly what you just said. Like I I went through about 10 doorways that I go through on a regular basis while you were speaking and you go through that doorway and there you automatically know what's on the other side so there is no process but that's another reality check but that's a beautiful reality check i mean that one is super 
like tangible, like with the mind's eye too. And anything to help reality checks with the mind's eye, doorways are perfect. Doorways are perfect for the mind's eye because I've, I've been working on some visualizations. And just to give you an example, like my front door, when the door is open, but the window glass door is shut, I can see that perfectly in my mind's eye. I can look outside and I see the casing on the door and it's beautiful. I mean, I can hold it in my mind's eye. I can look at it and I can walk up the stairs. Um, I think that's a very big tip um, to play around with. And I, I think asking on the subject part, not using a, such a med- meditation, but I think that also the other good point you made is, you know, ask, ask that question right then. Cause that's what has to start mimicking in the dream world is I am, you know, ask that even who am I, I am like something like that, that declaration along with that reality check, because that's the stuff that's going to translate you know, that's the stuff that's going to start to imprint and then mimic in the dream world. And all of a sudden you're, who am I? I am. Oh, I can put my fingers through my hand. I'm, I'm not <laughs> dreaming. I'm not right. No, oh, where am I? Yeah. Cause I think what you're, you're trying to build like lifestyle structure when you start getting into like the Kia soul. So like for, for me, like the Kia soul, like, so, you know, I get out of my truck, I'm walking into work in the morning, I'm going to go through the door, but the Kia soul would start like, as I'm walking the door, like maybe my mind's already thinking about like what I'm going to have to deal with when I get in the building. So that kind of starts it. It's like, Oh, I don't have to be there yet. I am. I'm the awareness that just realized I am doing that. So there's my, I am. I am not these thoughts that I am um, engaged with right now. And I'm about to go through the door, which I'm sure will lead to my work. But I'm going to go through this door consciously as a check of my location. So you're just using the doorways as a reminder. So instead of like the lucid alarms and stuff, like you're just building them into your system. So now like you've built in doorway, you've built in another location one. I'm talking about me. I built in another location one because I drive so much. I still have that. It's they're not long, but I still get that like, crap, how did I get here? Like that still happens to me. And so you just have to back off like, okay, I wasn't sure of my location. So you, I do the process in reverse. Like I am, I'm the one that was just lost in my head again. So you just go through that but you're building them like in your daily structure as much as possible. And then if I have a synchronicity, like I still get them with birds and trees, then that's a nice one where it's like, Oh, like I felt my awareness and my, that, so I felt my subject and my object kind of come together there. That's what a synchronicity is. And that came together like in a responsibility. So you get these multiple 
things and it's all about like working with the awareness that you have through your day and you're seeing the things that remind you and then you're you're just capitalizing on them and building that key of soul structure with these things that just keep popping up and so you're trying to build a lifestyle change a complete lifestyle change where your waking day awareness, you're committing to the project of that reminder, hopefully translating to um, nighttime awareness as well. I think I see it all coming together for me in, in subject object location, because I'm picturing you in while you're talking while you're talking i pay attention to the mind's eye like just just keeps me present and when you're talking i'm seeing you just subject object location you're in a dream somewhere and this bird just makes this noise and you just made the connection here like subject object like i think that's going to be your moment for you when you have this crazy astral experiences, you're going to be someone and you're going to hear a bird and you're going to connect yeah. to and this one, subject up. Where am I? Who am I? And it's going to mm-hmm. be from what you just said, the subject object relationship. And for you, yeah. it's probably going to be a bird that calls you out. Yeah. And then location, you know, that, just falls into place right right with the three of them yeah it's good it's good stuff from um gene in terms of just trying to build in that structure it's it serves so much purpose like i we obviously like have our strategy set on like trying to figure out I think we're both a little frustrated, but trying to figure out the sporadic nature of the nighttime experiences. Like it, it doesn't really make sense to me. Like I can't quite put my finger on it. It's just, they're so sporadic and it's like, the the amount of excitement that's generated from like just the little tastes like you can just see how it messes you up you can see how it makes you cling you can see how it like makes you greedy like yes i want more of that and i can see how everything messes me up but it's like it's very very difficult to avoid it like the the snares so i think like just commitment to like while the experiences are still fresh enough to where it's fueling devotion, you just build this structure into your life. And it's just going to be, as you move forward, a lifelong structure that, yes, pays dividends in dream awareness, but it also, it pays a lot of dividends in your daily awareness as well. Like it's, for me what it's been doing is it's you're you're almost you're like laying awareness traps for yourself 
like so you're building all this structure where it's like oh like so it's very very difficult for me to spend like long periods of time like unaware because i've built all this structure of reminding myself the key of soul is is has been not necessarily for someone who's on the dream path but just in general who's meditating that wants to stay more aware during the day as well um it works really good to not just have the breath there or stop and meditate it's just something if you can especially if you're like in a cubicle or you know working long hours or something to do to break up that monotony and and have reality checks where you can't meditate for an hour i mean it's really good at four o'clock today i was sitting in this chair and i did about an hour long meditation i um switching it up a little bit i've had two experiences one experience was not in this house so it was in another bed in the mountains at four o'clock is when you know you're pretty tired just you know any coffee or anything you've had kind of wears off so i'm not a napper if i if i sit down and meditate and i'm tired i i can fall asleep in the afternoon but it's like two minutes it's like power nap and something just points me up i mean i can't I can't sleep for 30, an hour, or two hours in the afternoon. I've just never been able to do that. But it is a time that I know that I go into that first realm. So I was sitting here meditating from at 4 o'clock until 5 o'clock, having listened to some of that book uh, today, Hacking the Outer Body Experience, and just getting a few tips along the way, but not trying to hold anything my in my brain that would be overwhelming as far as try this or try that but mainly my mind's eye and that space i don't want to affect at all and i just want to raise my vibration i got to where and this is this is a confusing part for me because i got to where i was vibrating so hard and then i was like okay let me up the game so I started doing the ohm in to myself, not out loud, with the crown of my head at the same time. And it started to get more intense. And I'm right teetering like you're about to fall asleep, you know, you're about to fall asleep. And I see in my mind's eye, and this is the weirdness that's happening to me. Like I'm just letting the mind's eye. I see this weird like alien figure just turn its head and it's kind of like a monkey, but it's got elongated mouth with lips at the end. Not really human. You would say, you know, kind of out of like, if, if I could write it down, I probably could draw you a picture, but just a, a weird, really big eyelashes but just this elongated mouth with the lips at the end. Obviously, not completely human, but some kind of hybrid of some sort. And it just kind of rotates to show me its whole face. Like I'm right on that first sleep stage. 
I'm vibrating high and I see that. And then it goes and I continue to do the ohm and it to myself and just making that vibration noise inside my body along with the crown and then lights it's like shaking lights 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 flash 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 but i'm not completely asleep my bright lights right here right right and and it's it's not where you can fall asleep but my vibration is so heavy in all the books that you read they say at that point just get up i can't grasp getting up without using your muscles like they say, just get up. And if you're sitting there, like here, I'm meditating, I'm vibrating, and I'm like, okay, get up. Well, you, you know, making, making the jump from, yeah, if you could, that would be awesome. You just get up and walk. And then I'll say, this is this is what I did though, because I, I had really good experience, um, just a couple of hours ago. I then started to visualize. Don't try to get up, Luke. Visualize seeing yourself stand up and walk. And then I would see legs, you know, walk out of the room. It's very hard to hold the whole body, but I'll look down and I'll like see the feet walking. And I'm still vibrating like a son of a gun, like, like vibrating. And you know, I'll even take it a step further because I'm really good at the mind's eye of the front door. And I'll I'll start walking down and then I'll go to the front door and it all with my mind's eye while I'm vibrating. But I still know I'm I'm in the body. And then I'm like, okay, that, that didn't work either. But I was then gonna say, well, change your perspective. Look at yourself as though you're in the chair. So when you do that, you start moving your eyes, like you want to move your eyes. And I was like, no, put your awareness at the bedroom door and look at yourself. So I did that. And that seems to be like, like shimmying, like trying to do something. But again, it's, it's right here. It's right here. And it's, I mean, when I got done, I'm past the point of like, oh, I was frustrated. Nothing happened. I know I'm right there. I know I'm vibrating. I know I'm, um, and probably by the time, you know, five o'clock, I, you know, if you shut your eyes for 30 minutes and you're relaxed, I'm not tired enough to go to sleep anyway. So this was more about just practicing and training, you know, for, and I, one thing I am going to switch up. It's extremely hard to wake up and move to another room, but I think I might come in here, like when I go to bed, and just try to fall asleep right here. This is right next to my bedroom, and just try to the first time try to fall asleep right here. And then if anything happens, I'll just let it happen, and then if I wake up, I'll just go get in the bed. You. You went over it quick, but we both are having experiences with the ohm while pushing the awareness up into the crown. Can you go over that? The awareness into the crown and how you're doing that? 
So the very beginning process for as far as when I meditate, it's kind of to get me relaxed. It's breathing. One of the show you right now how I really get into a meditation, like from the first breath, and it's all breath work in the beginning. And then, you know, I do the full body scan to get my whole body like vibrating. But this is what I do to start a meditation. Let out all my air. And I'm going to do it loud so you can hear it in the microphone. Hold. Hold. relax in into regular breathing or I could do two or three more of those if you do two or three more it seems like it just takes you deeper and deeper right now my breath is super relaxed I start with my toes and kind of work all over my body up my calves and knees and thighs kind of do that for five ten minutes and just Make sure my awareness is fully all over the body. And just that process alone, you know, raises your vibration. And even if you feel the need, like I just felt the need to go again. If, 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 if breathing wants to take over, you just, you just let it take over and let it, let it not necessarily hold at the top, but just breathe breathe in and you kind of let the meditation take over that breathing. And as I start vibrating and doing that, your body will naturally get to a vibration, but inside now, if I want to push it to a degree of, you know, a higher vibration or there's one tip that Kane and I received was, to yourself in tandem with moving that awareness and just doing the ohm internally is going to help you shift that awareness, but it's so I was taking a breath in and letting that air out again, but with an ohm. And that's raising the vibration higher to my crown. So now your breathing is still incorporated, but now it's an ohm on the way out. It sends that vibration to the crown even higher. And then you can actually put the awareness on the tip of your, you know, right at the top of your head. And, and start to tingle and, and all the while just keeping your mind's eye available, not forcing anything. But if something pops up, like what I just described, like a person that looks like you've never seen in your whole life before, the idea is not to be startled or anything. Just what pops up is what pops up. And then 
you know, that's at the point where I started to vibrate higher at the crown and didn't really have anything in my mind's eye at the very end of that meditation. That's when I thought that I, then I went into technique. I'm like, okay, I'm vibrating high. I've got the ohms on the exhale going really strong, you know, now follow some instructions that you've received over the last couple of weeks. And I went through like three or four techniques that I had learned. Again, I, I knew I wasn't going to like fall completely asleep to where they would work a hundred percent. But I mean, for us, it's just all about the repetitiveness in the training to get us to that point. So you have your awareness in the crown, you have it like at one spot in the top of your head. Yeah, in tandem with the mind's eye. I mean, from here to here. Because I what I feel like what I'm doing is like I'm feeling it. Like I'm, I'll feel something. But what happens is I don't really get a spot. I feel like I have a halo. And it's very hard for me to pinpoint like a single spot. But it's like, just like an angel halo. And I'll... And my awareness can stay there because I just stay with the feeling. So you have a little bit on the outside. Is that what you're saying? Well, it's almost like how you feel when you have a hat on your head. So it's, it's not so like, instead of like one spot at the top, it's like, as if I'm like wearing a headband or something. So it's like this ring I get. And so but the feeling kind of goes around like that. And I have a hard time pinpointing something up there. No. But sometimes I do feel like it can go out. But it feels... It, that's why I was curious. Like, do you have like this ring and then you can go past the ring and get like more of a point? Because I'm doing it all with feeling. I'm not doing anything with... Um, Yeah, your awareness is kind of in tandem with what you feel, but mine's mine's more of a point. Yeah, yeah you might be past the ring. Yeah. Which I, I've heard multiple people talk about, like, getting to, like, that point, almost like it's a string. I feel so whenever I, the crown, it's always like a point. As far as the crown, it's like yeah. the tip top point, like the peak of my body, like one point. It feels like the smallest chakra like point of any of the chakras the crown does. Yeah. Like the root so feels, what? the root feels like a root. The crown feels like a dot. Like Yeah, that's interesting. Because I wonder if I'm not quite pushing it up enough. Never seen it as a triangle. Yeah. From the root to the top, but I don't think that necessarily means that you're not feeling the 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 crown exactly right. Because I mean, in a lot of these books I'm reading, you it's like you could be experiencing a little bit of outage there. 
Yeah, it, it's it's obvious. Like, I don't think anything's. It's clearly raising my vibrations. It's working. It's working the same way you're saying it. It's just like I feel like my the whole driving of my experience and my awareness is the feeling. It's it's very. Um, Uh, it's almost like it's I guess it's just like you know a different state of consciousness where you just let you let the consciousness just kind of sit in the feeling like you said you can start at the toes you can go up but then you get that whole body vibration and then you're just trying to push it up into the and my awareness stays up there easy but it's because I can feel it so well yeah. You know, one thing I started when I was successful the very first time, I think there was two things. I think it was the rocking. And I think I told you that too, like back when it, I was going to mention that maybe the first one, yeah. I stopped doing that completely. Like the first time it was intuition. I yeah. ain't got anything from other than me and you talking. I was just like, well, start at the chest and go to the back, chest, back, chest, back. So internally it kind of like, Bam, bam. Kind of like with a breath. I mean, you kind of need to do it with the breath just so it doesn't screw with your breathing. That's why you said, like, just get up. But I think that's, uh, that's, I think that's the mechanic there is because you can kind of rock in the mind's eye and you're not using your muscles. I think I was doing that the very first time because when I, before I went to sleep, that's all I was doing was just like, basically meditation so everything was blank how it got to the state of relaxation there was nothing forced in the mind's eye or anything like that and i would just rock and i would literally just rock myself to sleep that's what i did i didn't have any other um mechanics involved and then the one in the mountains was just completely I mean, I think it has uh, it had a lot to do with just first night not sleeping in your own bed. I think me coming here tonight and actually trying to go to sleep here could be insane. Yeah. I think it could be insane because psychologically, just not in your bed is so easy. I even when you're laying down there and I'm really tired. I'm on my back and I want to stay on my back aware the whole time because I don't, uh, I just see once you make that commitment to turn on your side, like it's over. Like, uh, and I don't know yeah. if I subconsciously made that decision, but I know that I've given up once I turn. So I want to stay on my back 30 minutes, 45 what minutes. What is that? Yeah. I have the same thing. That's crazy. But every experience I've had, I've been on my back. So it makes sense. Yeah. It's almost like when I do make that turn and I retreat, I know I subconsciously given up for the night and something as subtle as that may be because if the very last thing you do, you retreat, you turn it aside, you literally say to yourself, it ain't happening tonight or you're giving up or whatever. Subconsciously it's, got to be terrible for you 
about to go to sleep and you turn and you're like, screw it. I'm just going to sleep. You're literally saying I'm checking out. Yeah. I'm tired. I'm just going to turn over and do it. But subconsciously in the, the dreams we've been having, they're like checked out dreams. Is it that? Well, yeah, there's, Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Cause there's only so much energy. There's only so much, especially for as much responsibilities as we have. And so that's the problem when you have too much effort tied into the awareness, it can start to feel exhausting. And so that exhaustion leads to like, I've got to rest. That's all there is to it. So to, so you're right at that point, once you, once you, and I've done the same exact thing. Like I've rolled over and I'm just like, holy crap, I just gave up. But I mean, I barely even have time to say that. And I've already fallen asleep. Like that's how long I lasted. But look what that is. That last thing. Oh yeah. Before, like as you're like the next five seconds, you may be asleep. That last thing was. I gave up, like I'm checking out, like I'm tired. I'm, you know what I mean? It's negative. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. In terms of what we're doing, it's negative. Dude, I, I found, um, he's wicked fame. I I think he's like Eckhart Tolle level, but, uh, like Michael Singer, you ever heard of that guy? No. So uh, he's pretty big. Um, I, had heard of him a couple times. I'm like, I got to figure out. So the way Eckhart talks about the power of now, Michael Singer, who, I mean, sounds exactly like Eckhart and, but his, for lack of a better word, catchphrase is surrender, surrendering. And it's good just to hear like a different perspective. It's all the same message. It's nothing you've never heard before, but he got me thinking because this is going to tie back into golf, but with winter coming, I'm trying to figure out like what I want to do. Like, do I want to try to stay, you know, in some way active, you know, just swinging the clubs so I went to this place to go check it out, like what I could do for the winter in terms of like just swinging around. So there's no expectation like for my golf game or anything. Like it's nothing like that. It's just, will I be able to practice here until spring? So, you know, I'm hitting a bucket of balls and I'm like, this place is pretty cool. And, you know, I'm getting into it and you, you hit one clean And it goes the way it's supposed to. And I'm like, that's why I came here. You know, that feels good. That feels really, really good. And then, you know, where I'm at, like just screwing around, I hit the next three and they're not like that. But I'm disciplined. Like I'm ready. I'm like, you know, I'm not getting upset because I didn't hit the ball the way I wanted to. But I can't stop myself from feeling good when I do. And I really start to look at it. So by the time I get 
like halfway through, like this that has nothing to do with golf anymore. And I'm like in a spiritual playground mode and I'm just watching it happen over and over again. I hit a ball clean and I can't stop myself from feeling good. If I hit a ball bad, I feel like I can stop myself from feeling bad. So I'm just watching that process over and over again. And then it just dawns on me. And like that whole thing of stopping myself from feeling bad isn't true. That's how good I am at like just taking control of this situation. The contrast is right there laid out. And Michael Singer does such a good job of explaining this concept because he takes the moment of now and he applies it. I mean, if you look at all of science, we have like the Large Hadron Collider. So they're smashing atoms and that little small thing that they're looking at and the the new telescope, the Webb telescope, and they go 14 billion years back to the beginning of time. And between that big thing and this small thing, they have not found consciousness. It's not in there. And so what Michael Singer is saying, he's like, that big bang is there. And that creates a system of cause and effect that lasts 14 billion years. which ends up at some point being right in front of you as your point of view. And the reason why it feels so good to hit that ball is because my expectation of what this moment needs to be ends up matching with the reality of the moment when I live it. As soon as my expectation is something different than the reality, my heart closes to it with something as simple as a golf swing. If I hit it and I hit it clean and it goes, my heart sings. That's the that's the expectation I had of that moment of now. Thank you, universe. I got exactly what I wanted. But if it goes off in, a, in another direction, how dare you? How dare you and your 14 billion years of history? That's not the moment I wanted. Like, look at that attitude we have. That's the same thing about rolling over in your sleep. That's the same thing. We always have these expectations of what that moment is. And when the now meets that expectation and it lines up, our hearts are open. That's the synchronicity. That's the good golf shot. That's Many, many things in life will open your heart like that. But any time that expectation is off, dude. So I was sitting down. I was meditating just like I am now. I had my feet on an ottoman and I was on the couch and I was just going through a meditation. And because everything's happened this year and I meditate in the house a lot, like I've set my family down and I've made a rule. I've said, I understand I do some weird stuff now. Like 
meditate like I'm falling asleep, like right in the middle of the house. So I've given my family permission. Like you guys can, if you need me, you can talk to me. Like you don't have to treat me like I'm asleep or something. So you have permission to engage me in these moments. So I'm sitting down. I'm in a full on like meditative consciousness frame of mind. And my 12 year old daughter comes and sits next to me and kicks the ottoman when she sits down. And so I'm in my state of consciousness and immediately I heard myself, I don't want the ottoman there. I had it where I wanted it. That's in my head. As my daughter just sits down next to me. So instead of the moment of my expectation, here it is, the 14 billion years leads to this moment of now, which is my daughter engaging me that I'm arguing with because it's not what I had in mind. Of course, I don't let her see all that. I don't engage her in that way. I catch it quick. I catch it quick and I embrace the situation of my daughter sitting down next to me instead of being a dopehead. But my point is, it's exactly what you were saying. There's these little things that close off our heart. And I feel like I'm speaking because I'm somebody who knows what it is to have your heart closed off. And it happens small. It happens subtle. And it's accumulative. It just keeps building, keeps building. And next thing you know, stuff isn't even going past your heart anymore. You've completely shut it off. Beautifully said. I think the golf swing analogy is something I can relate to. So when you hit a bad shot, you're saying that the trickery is no, you don't get frustrated. No, you don't overreact. You don't react to the bad shot. You just shut down after the shot so that you don't react is what you're saying. It's more of a, like a shutdown to the bad shot. As, as far as hitting a, a good shot remains open, you think you're such a well tuned mental machine that when you hit a bad shot it doesn't affect you but it doesn't affect you because you've really shut down the heart correct yeah that's very interesting that's very interesting and i know like talking in terms of that subtleness i know that i'm not walking around frustrating because i haven't had any ap experiences But my expectation has been there and that expectation, it hasn't been met. So I inadvertently shut down some part of me that has blinders on. That is so true. So true. Because you, you get down these rabbit holes and what do you do in golf? You shut down the heart and then all of a sudden the head starts going and it gets out of control. Like way out of control. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're like six months into it and you're like, what happened? Like what? 
I mean, that's right. a path that we don't want to go to. Be- before that happens, you just shut it all down and AP experiences and like, don't read any books. You just, you're done for a month and just shut it down completely. And that's actually suggested in the book is like, Hey, if you get too into it, but that's a very beautiful point you make there, sir. Well, it's, I mean, you can look at like, you know, Bagger Vance and like 10 cup, like all the drama golf movies. They're all about, well, you've lost your swing. We're going to have to go find it. You know, it's all the same concept. And you can tell like there's, when you, if, if you're a golfer and like you go out, like you can even see it in the PGA. I mean, there's that golfer who does have his heart involved in everything. And he snaps the club over his leg and he throws it into the pond. I mean that, and nobody likes to play with that guy because it's contagious, like that kind of negative energy. But what you do is you think that like, oh, I'm in control of my, you know, you know, you just, you get one off into the woods. It's like, ah, but you turn around and you're like, ah, I'll get the next one. But you, that, ah, close the heart. That, the damage was done. And it's, there's something about the heart closing and the heart opening where that heart closing we we just don't seem to have much awareness like e- even on the level of like you and I when we are really confronted with like a a new spiritual desire and i think it takes a lot of because where i noticed everything was like that that whole idea and i caught myself waking up and the first thing i did was like i didn't have i didn't have an experience i didn't have an exp- and i'm like holy crap kane like that's that's your introduction to the day i didn't have something that i expected and like so you know you're on the wrong you know you're on the wrong path but you're starting your day you know throwing debris into your heart stream so you just went down the hitting a bad shot and Gene Hart played a major role in my spiritual life this last week as a mentor, as do, you know, people on this path have their synchronized moments. I'm sure I've said some, someone, something to someone at some special time, but, uh, he said some, he had some pretty powerful things that were pretty synchronistic with me this past week. And over the years, it's been a multitude of people. But when you hit the good shot in golf, like something happens to you as well. Like, how did you get from a good shot to a bad shot? Because the good shot is performed perfectly. So I had those 
astral experiences and trying to figure out, so what could have blocked me moving forward? And this is one of his YouTube videos, but I want to read it here because it's, it's like so true on the side of hitting the good shot. And here it goes. It's a quote from straight from Gene Hart's YouTube channel. As the ego is still alive in us, we hide to ourselves the ego of self-love. We pat ourselves on our backs and say, well done. We must be very good students to have to have achieved this and that experience. How great we must be. And if we were extremely foolish, we may even begin to tell any Tom, Dick, or Harry about them. This early stage of inner development is unfortunately the first stumbling block for man's esoteric students. We must utterly destroy the ego of self-love and use the energy trapped inside that ego to give thanks to the elements that really support our inner growth. He who is awake without dreaming with all the ego, sorry, some of this is cut off, with all of the ego totally gone, no longer lives in the selfish my will, but is absorbed completely in thy will on true being. So that very, like the very first part of it hit me pretty hard. It's like you pat yourself on the back and say, well done, as if you're like some high stature. And I, I had those experiences like, wow, I must be, I mean, I remember telling you they're effortless, but at some point I must have had some asleep moments where, you know, patting myself on the back, like I'm on my way. Like I've, I've, where am I going next? And it just slips in there after the good shot because I've hit the good shot in golf. Like, and I hit it and I'm like, wow, that felt really good. And there's no reason why every every shot shouldn't be a good... I have the ability. I have the ability. I proved it to myself. I have the ability to hit a good shot every time. Why would I ever hit a bad shot? How is that even possible? Now, how could I never not astral project again? How is that even possible? I have the ability. I went to, like... I went to your house. I went to... I was in a time-traveling van. What are you talking about? <laughs> How could I be in like this dull moment with blindfolds on? I can't hit bad shots after I've done that. So goes the ego. Yeah. And it's the, the golf is so crazy because like, I know what level we are on golf and like, it's just, it's not, it's it's just not meaningful to me yet. Like I'm, I'm moving in that direction, but I mean, I haven't even like reinforced like the golf bug or anything. It's just, you know, like an extra thing that's going on. And so like something that like, you're not even, that's not even meaningful to you. And you can see that contrast there. So now like, take that contrast and apply it to something that's just infinitely meaningful to me right now. And then how true is that same concept? I mean, it's gotta be messing me up tremendously. 
because the whole problem with the golf shot, the good golf shot, like I sat there for the whole buck. I, I couldn't figure out how to not feel good. Like I couldn't, I couldn't, there's, there's nothing on the line there and I couldn't figure out, I couldn't figure out the mechanics of it. I'm like, oh, I just, I cannot stop my heart from opening wide when I hit this good shot. It's just automatic. And so that lays the gauntlet down on all your spiritual progression. Like what it's going to do to you in terms of opening your heart to those experiences is going to always have this like flip side of the coin that's going to be very tricky to deal with. And I think that's where like one of the key words I keep coming back to is just patience. I think it's going to take a lot of patience with yourself and moving through highs and lows and I think we're in that stage now where we're just, it's going to be, it's going to be a patient project. Yeah. And, and one that continue to learn and evolve from. So, I mean, with a couple of experiences of knowing what to expect. I can't believe I just said that. Oh, it's a <laughs> trap. Look out. Um, moving into the, the second hour, I did want to hit on, on meditation a little bit more in depth and about the why. And for me, just the amount of years of meditation and having breaks of meditation and then intense times of meditation for anywhere from once a week to five times a day over the last 20 so or so years, just the difference in, in I, I've talked to a lot of, people on this subject and the overwhelming answer always is obviously I don't have time to meditate and it's just a complete avoidance of, of the whole topic meditation, not necessarily because it's not something they believe in or don't see the process through. Maybe it's, they don't want to sit down with themselves. Maybe they see something coming that they, they, they don't want to deal with whatever it may be. I wanted to talk about what it's done just in terms of when I get really committed about it, because those experiences, what it gave me is it, it gave me something pretty intense. It having an experience out like that, where you're basically in a form that's limitless and what you think happens immediately. It opened up my eyes to one, 
how committed do you need to be to meditation? Like that it shit has to be so clean inside. Like you, your dedication has to be on a level of it. The effort at least has to be there. Like it, there's no reason for it to, to not be there because of a lack of effort or a lack of saying, I don't have enough time or for me anyway, just after, after those experiences and understanding what thoughts do, because here we, we can't even understand what we put out manifests because we're in such dense bodies now and we're, we have limits here. But just seeing how it all works as far as light beings and how your thoughts, I just knew I had to step it up to another level of commitment. And that's what I've done. But we can talk about what it's done to my dream life here in the short term. Obviously, it's forced a lot of subconscious work, which is a good thing, too, which we say downtime and it's probably more of a beautiful time. I mean, downtime, because my expectation was I want to fly to the astral every night and have no limits, obviously. But the beauty of the subconscious work is, you know, that's all part of the whole path. I did want to talk about the why as far as the separation, because there is such a huge difference when you up your game in your daily life as far as we are doing those reality checks but just in general take your everyday reactions and i know we've talked about reactions by you know you you start to react and then you catch yourself two seconds in like oh what am i doing when i get this intense and this committed to meditation that separation and that gap gets so wide that the reactionary me, like I catch it before it happens every single time. So I I don't really know or understand why I'm making the argument. I just know there's a lot of people that steer clear from meditation and maybe it's a personal thing, but if I didn't do it like at this committed level, I'm a completely different person. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're not doing it, you're just, it, it's, it's kind of one way or the other. Like if you're not committed to it at all, then you're just driving yourself to unconsciousness. So yeah, you would be a completely different person. You would be, I mean, as soon as you start going down that road, then then you become reactionary. Then you become, you know, a victim of your own emotions. So yeah, it's very black and white, but it's all, I get like a, when you say that, like I get a big, like as above, so below. Cause I think like that's the entire project of being it's like, there's, there's no stasis. You're either going up or you're going down. There is no 
in between. The only reason I bring that up is because there will be people that you come across on the past, say you, for example, you have that experience in May that puts you in another state. Someone may say, Cain never has to meditate again, ever, because you're awakened. I, under, after 20-plus years, understood what I did and then fall for the trap of, why would you need to meditate anymore? You already know the truth. I proved it to myself. You can't do it. I, it could be personal to me. I don't know. I think with you, maybe, I don't know if you saw any regression, like you don't meditate and all of a sudden you're like, why am I becoming reactionary? To me, if I don't meditate for two weeks and just say, maybe we have more accountability now to where I wouldn't, but three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, at some point you're going to react and be like, what the hell just happened? Like, why did I get angry there? And and then the only thing that I would ever be able to draw the conclusion to is, when's the last time you meditated? Oh, a month ago. Oh, well, go figure. I'm saying there's people over the years that I've heard a lot of truth from who make the argument that once you've awakened and you're in that state, meditation is no longer needed. That's not true for me. It could be true for them. They may be saying they're 100% truth. I don't know. I don't think it's true for you either. Just seeing like once, you know, you started getting dedicated on the meditation, it seemed like, you know, it's pushing you further as well. It's funny because that's one of the things with my experience with awakening is there was such a push into awareness that there was nowhere for me to go, but away from that. So there was no, so like my movement, I went up so high. My movement was then down from that level of awareness. So I'm very aware, like on that sliding scale that I'm always at. So that's the way I'm always analyzing my own state of being it's like or you know if you look back on a day or if you like say you know what's going on this week you're trying to understand your own progression like there's definitely periods of like gaining awareness and there's periods of losing awareness and if you feel like you get stuck in a place where you're losing awareness then with the discipline of meditation you can just turn that around but to say like because you had like a an awakening experience like you wouldn't need to meditate again i mean the awakening experience is obviously amazing but there's a fall from the awakening experience there's a fall of consciousness that's like my whole state of being now is like how do i get back way up there where i was you know so that's where i'm like there's as far as I'm concerned, it's just like the good golf shot. Like I did it once. 
Like I kind of understand the mechanics, like how big and massive it was when, in terms of, I mean, from my point of view, it was the entire ego. Like I heard actually Osho say something today that was pretty cool. He's like the ego is made of two parts. It's, it's, um, it's, and it's killed in two different ways. It's killed. Half of it's killed with awareness and the other half of it is killed with compassion. And like the, that awareness part, at least from my point of view, was like total, like, okay, like just woke up to myself to, to a level where the consciousness was raised. But at, from that spot, there was nowhere for me to come, but back down, which leaves me in this spot of like, I want to hit that good golf shot a bit again. And the, and I know when I sit down and meditate that I'm moving in that direction. I mean, there's been some meditations where I'm like, if I could just stop right here, I would just keep progressing to something amazing and blissful. It's like there's... um The t- the time the, the time one is interesting because I mean it does I can kind of relate. There's there's moments where I'm like, geez, there's not enough time because I do feel like there's a lot of meditations that I do are like interrupted. So I mean, I get it. It it does, and I feel like if I could just stay there, I mean, like, man, I would be I'd be golden. But, you know, you got to get moving and you got to you have stuff to do. But it definitely feels like it's pushing me in the right direction. And I. I'm definitely now. Uh, the way I understand it is I'm either moving up or I'm moving down. And so the meditation is just the way to make sure you're going in the right direction. Yeah, it's completely directional for me. And there's times that, you know, 10 years in that I would be way off the rails, but I knew I could go meditate and I'd be okay. But it was keep, it was to keep me, it was never about ascension. That's a difference. This, ever since we started doing this, the accountability is more, ascension like keep pushing that envelope and it is directional because i mean i can remember times where there are just gaps of meditation and you become reactionary i, I mean i consider myself to be like a professional about that whole um swing there um just because I had the antidote whenever I needed it. And I don't think spirituality should be that way at all. I knew I got an answer at a young age. So I kind of had a cheat code. If things got off the rails, I hadn't, I had the antidote, you know, so I always had that in my back pocket and ultimately had something that would keep me grounded and, suffice for many years 
but this this path seems to be a bit different it's completely about can continually moving it with the account accountability of you and just the the rabbit holes we've gone in we just going in and not coming back but there's been times where you get so high on the ascension and and you know that pendulum wants to swing back and say well why don't you just come come back down here because you know you are still in the human body you are still human and you know you do human things and so it always wants to level out but recently like within the last couple weeks and i think a lot due to experience because experience like we've talked about and we've heard that it is so hard to share. There's got to be a lot of trust there. Obviously we believe each other because we know the path we're on, but there's nothing that makes that commitment stronger than the experiences that I've had for one, they're adventurous. So, you know, the spiritual life, there sometimes is a level of boredom, on the lines of just socially and in not having the interactions with um, conversation that I can have with you on the podcast. So there is that effect. So you're telling me that, Oh my God, there's like this adventure and even more keys and and like unlock. So, and then along the way I find out, wow, you don't understand like the gravity of your thoughts. Like, buckle buckle down like buckle down and that all came from experience it's not something someone can tell you i know uh, 50 people in my life if they committed to meditating and said i'll make the time their life would be completely changed but you can't make that call for anybody they have to make the decisions for themselves so for me I had an experience after all the meditating I've done in my life that pushed me to go harder, to make more time for meditation, to push harder effortlessly. I'm not talking about push. I'm talking about make more effortless time for yourself. And experience does that, like spiritual experiences do that. But sometimes they're not the most believable and explainable things to other people. Well, the the whole thing makes you uh, humble, which is good. I mean, I think that was one of my big when you, when you lose a lot of pride, you kind of have this influx of humble and a lot of like the discipline with meditation, like one of the things that I've learned is like every, every single day is a fall and it's not like, you know, a great fall, but like, it's just, it's the contrast. So you wake up in the morning and you do that meditation and I don't know how else to describe it other than like, I'm clean. I'm clean. Like I, I don't have, I don't have the day's mess in me or on me. And that, that morning meditation 
in contrast to the evening meditation always like opens up my eyes to the fact of like stuff is get I'm spending way too much time arguing with the moments of now. That's clear because like, why is my evening meditation that different than my morning meditation? Like the only thing that's happened is the cumulative effect of the day's events. And that's what Michael Singer really kind of helped me understand was there's too much argument with moments of now throughout the day. And that's what's, that's what's creating that mess. And it's funny because like we talk about Christ, like I know we've, we've mentioned like, father, forgive me for we know not what they do, but one of, one of Christ's most beautiful moments is he's on the cross He's hanging there and he cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? That's Christ on the cross saying out loud, like, wait a second, this isn't the moment I was anticipating. This wasn't my expectation. It's like the human form is still speaking. He's reminding us of his humanity. It's a beautiful moment on the cross. Christ, like in that moment, saying, Father, why have you forsaken me? So, I mean, there's the spiritual legend. There's the master still wrestling with that concept at at the moment of his death still with his point of view like how did i wind up here how is this happening to me it's a beautiful insight into the amount of discipline and the the amount of struggle that remains all the time and i think that's why like it feels that way like you wake up and you have that clean morning meditation that's just always beautiful. And then like you just, you get this mess on you. And so the day is kind of like naturally this fall in consciousness. You can wake up really clear and you can wake up ready for anything. But as stuff builds throughout the day, you become more and more entrenched into what that day's events were. And the only way to fight that on a daily basis is through meditative practice. I don't know how else you would. I don't know how else you would fight it. And the ones that when you say like you're not fighting it, I just I think that. There could be more building up in that process than what you're aware of. And my evidence for that would just be Christ on the cross. Father, why have you forsaken me? I mean, if it's him in that moment, then I I don't know how anybody could claim that 
you know, they reached a point where they're not arguing with moments as they arise. It's safe to say that the people that crucified Christ were not meditating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, forgive them for they know not what they do. But fear. Yeah. Fear kind of ruled that whole decision making process. Clinging to something, clinging to a belief system, just to avoid going within. The things people do. For those that crucified him? What's that? For those that crucified him? Yes. Well, they have an expectation of what the savior, what salvation is supposed to be. And it's not like that's going to be met by like something in front of them. Right. Well, I mean, they were in a belief system and they thought he was a blasphemous calling himself the son of man. It's the same exact thing. I mean, except a different time with, you know, harsher consequences, but you can see it with Osho. You can see it to some degree with other ones as well. You know, the, you have your expectation and your idea of the spoken word of the savior. And, but all you've done is like limited yourself to that idea and anything that's outside of that idea, you know, actually speaking the spoken word isn't going to resonate with you. Yeah, which, since you're on the topic, there's also a verse that, and I equate it to people that spend their whole lives in a religion, and Christianity is one of those religions that they may say the name Jesus Christ 500,000 times in their life. But in the end, they get to the gates of heaven and Jesus says, I never knew you. And I don't think there's a moment where, uh, obviously, seeing what I've seen, there's a moment that people get punished beyond experiencing, you know, the embarrassment of being asleep for so long. I'm, I'm, I'm not in agreement with with the interpretation of that verse because I don't, I don't think like certain places people are getting turned down, like especially if if you're in the presence of in an, in another dimension with that particular person um but it, he was speaking for everyone like yeah. it's like there's a lot of people that will know you Kane or me or anyone who you know you're you're talking from the mountaintops but how many people actually knew you and there's a lot of people that are really close to me that would never know me and i think it was just a 
I think more of a reassurance thing than, than anything just to make the point. It's like, you, you just go to a place and say the word Jesus Christ over and over and over. And that makes you know someone. I mean, right. He's so good at making the point and, and the point was made like <laughs> you can ring your bells and come say, Jesus, Jesus, I love you. But it's like unconsciously you're unconscious for the last 75, 80 years of your life. And now, and, and it's true for a lot of people on the spiritual path, because you could have someone who's, which I don't, or you don't, but I mean, even you gave the example Osho, you can have someone who's infatuated with Osho. It's just a complete fan of him. would just go up to him and start doing this. And Osho would be like, who the hell are you? You don't know me. Right. Why are you doing right. that? Like that doesn't, that's not, there's nothing spiritual about you. Like idolizing me. Why are you doing that? Like, I don't do that. You don't know me. You don't know what's in here. If you're going to come up here and like bow down to me and start treating me as though I'm some exalted one, you're going to put me on a pedestal and praise my name. You don't know me. How can you exalt me? put me on a pedestal and then claim that you know me because you don't. And that's the biggest argument that I hear in Christianity is if you sit someone down and it'll say, but how can you not? That's Jesus. You have to exalt him. You have to praise his name. You have to put him on a pedestal. And if Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't know me because that's the trap. That's the trap. Yeah, it's funny because Osho was talking about somebody today, and um, it was somebody's question, and he famously says that he doesn't answer questions, he answers the questioner, meaning like I will contradict myself depending on who answers or who asks the question. And so he's like, your answer is always for you and is not for anybody else. And then if he's got one for the group, he'll say, everybody can have this answer. But one of them was somebody asking him, like, Osho, I love you fully. I love you fully. But I still don't get it. Like, and why? So she's saying, like, I haven't achieved anything, but, like, I love you fully. And he agrees. He's like, I can see it in your eyes. You love me fully. And he goes into, like, to love somebody fully is has the contrast of, like, the desperate ego clinging on to its own existence a very yin and yang so you love me fully but that means you've pushed all of your ego like into this desperation because to love fully means the death of yourself and so he's saying like you've the more you love me the more the ego is holding on then she was like talking about it like this this very push in one direction, meaning a pull in the other direction. 
but it was it was interesting it was relating to what you were saying it's a very safe and comforting thing to do and i'm not saying it's not a good fix for someone for a long period of time i mean there it's the best best fix i mean you know think how many people have lived out the religious life that you would say were pretty comfortable and content with their ego like harboring it like it's the best and greatest way to get the most best of both worlds like to for you as an example like for if if you're in that system in that where you're exalting someone you get to harbor your construct and keep yourself in like this comfort zone meanwhile being patted on the back by other people not just yourself like it's very reinforcing and comforting to keep yourself there and there's a lot of people that have lived that life and lived it from childhood to death in a very good comfort zone that you would say is kind of close but really it's if you really analyze it and you say it's kind of close it's only kind of close because it makes you feel good it's actually way further than the drunk guy on the street like the drunk guy on the street yeah. is really close to an awakening like i might be able to wake up go and have a conversation with someone who's talking to themselves on the side of the street and we may just have a few words and he has a chance of like the cards falling down in 30 seconds and it being a beautiful moment. And we listen to the birds and we sit on the bench and, and I learn from him. He learns from me. And that other person is so far away because it does feel good, but that construct has such a good support structure around it that makes it so far from the truth. And it's incredibly difficult to break that down because you don't break that down. You break down, you have to break down the support structure too. support structure is probably the biggest problem because the guy who's drunk on the side of the road, who may be talking to himself, he doesn't have a support structure to that ego. He just wants someone to come and flick the deck of cards. That's all that guy wants is a little flick, a little nudge, like something like some, he's, something has perpetuated him into a hypnosis of life and he, he's got lost in his brain, but he just needs a little flick. This other person who seems to be like close, but still unconscious, it's the support system that's so hard too. Yeah, and that's what's interesting listening to somebody like Osho, like in comparison to somebody like Eckhart, like somebody who like embraces the master disciple role. And it's certainly nothing I ever embraced before awakening. But now like when you understand like what the project is in terms of
you know, how do you explain to the fish that it's in water? You know what I mean? Like the, the level of like trying to explain to the awareness, like where it's at and like what the whole deal is, how to get past the ego, which, you know, they think is them. I mean, it's, you, I can see now where like the master disciple relationship was built. Like it's a relationship that I never really ever understood at all. Even talking about Jesus and disciples or anybody who was in that position and then decided to take on disciples. Like I never really understood any of that, but it does get interesting now just watching it like from an observational level watching him deal with people and watching him deal with like people who just come in with so much love but it's not enough i mean and he works with them he has but i mean like that relationship is like somebody who's fed up to the point where it's like i hear you i'm i'm no longer going to listen to the voice in my head instead which i can't even figure the mechanics out they don't even know how to do this but instead i'm going to listen to you so that's what that master disciple role ends up being it's like somebody surrendering their voice in their head and giving that control over to the master. And then when you have a master like Osho, like you can't you can't fool him. You can't have something different going on in here cuz he's going to know. He's going to know like by your actions. Like if you slip up and the ego comes out for a split second, he's going to see it. So once you go through that, you're kind of stuck. You're like, you would, and I mean, that's his whole process is, you know, like the red clothes. You know, he he talks about so many people arguing with him about like wanting to put on the red clothes. And he's like, you came to me and you want to change your soul. And now you're arguing with me when I tell you to change your clothes. It's like change your clothes or leave. Yeah, I don't know the history of the clothes with him, but it seems to be kind of strange. Well, it's, it is strange, like, when you look at it, but when you hear him talk about it, like, he doesn't give a crap about the clothes. Right. It's the same thing as Gene Hart saying, like, you have to pay for my Patreon, which I think he charges, what, like, 50 cents a month or something. Like, it's such a small amount that, like, nobody should be restricted by it. But you know tons of people don't do it because they just, well, I'm not paying anything. So he's able to, like, keep people out who don't have the level of seriousness that he needs to start working with them. It's the same thing Osha was doing with the clothes. Yeah, I did find something interesting that the timeline of Buddha, 
was actually before Christ. Yeah. Were you aware of that? Yeah. So I'm struggled is not the right word because I don't sit around struggling about the story of Christ. I mean, I, the, the point we make about Christ is that just like anyone, you can know him by what's coming from within and you can validate that with yourself. Uh, so you can create a trust with any person based on their fruits and with Christ, obviously, he was spouting off truth, which resonates with the both of us. The problem that I've always had is where does the story of Christianity stop? And where does like Christ, because we know Christ, and really this is just for conversation sake, because I really don't care. Because once you know Christ, this is just for like, the value of conversation between me and you, because once you know where he's coming from, like it's resolved with me, but I know it's an interesting conversation for a lot of people trying to weed themselves out of Christianity. If they're trying to find ultimate truth, but Buddha is before Christ and his truth. I, you get the same kind of resonation that I do with Christ. So, you know, I look at Buddha as the same level, but the story of Christianity goes like that was the beginning of time, the beginning of the end. And, and the guy that rose from the dead, the alpha, the omega, which doesn't, first of all, line up with science. And I know I could severely piss people off in the Christianity world. So all I would ask is that you just keep an open mind because I love Christ and I, I do. I mean, I think you could tell by this conversation that we can hear the fruits that are coming from within, but I have a problem with where Christianity stops. And a lot of that could just be what was instilled with in me as a child that you you know, I've questioned everything out of me, but there are things that I want to push even further, especially in the astral world. You think about the raising of the dead, for example. Obviously, you move on and someone like Christ can go anywhere in the universe. So like a second coming is not out of the question, but a second coming more omnificent rings very true for me. Like, very true, because you talk about a global awakening, you know, that is a second coming, whether it's an actual physical, but that's not another question either, because I know how travel works as far as in the universe, and once you're out of the body, you're limitless. So I'm not ruling that out either, And but, but the coming back is, in my if you asked me what my theory is, I think it's already here. I think the second company has already arrived. I think it was way sooner than later. I don't even think there was a gap. But but that was the same for Buddha. Like Buddha transcended as well. Like his second coming is already here. But it's the same it's the same one verse. 
Like that was the whole point that Christ was trying to make. In that physical body, that's the where the story gets lost for me as far as, you know, I'm, again, not skeptical enough to think that the whole body couldn't have been removed by what you can do on the other side to make the point as well. But just some of the things that I've gone through in my head after in learning that Buddha was before Christ, that kind of kind of seals the deal on a lot of theories that I have. Yeah, it's it, it's I definitely haven't gone through enough Buddha stuff, but I mean in terms of where I'm at right now with him, um, I do think he reached a level of consciousness that's far beyond Christ. Like with Christ, it's difficult because like you don't necessarily know, like maybe some of the stuff isn't there. I mean, Christ obviously was crucified. He was crucified at a young age. So was there some spiritual progression that, you know, was he wasn't allowed to live through. But in terms of like the mystical side of things, that's Buddha. The mystical, I mean, a much longer life, much further in the progression of consciousness to where, I mean, he's telling stories about the birth of consciousness. I mean, all the way back to the beginning. Um, but that's the thing. It's like, it's just, I find myself just grateful that there's these examples of people having the experience of God. And I, and I just don't like how we've, you know, we've just narrowed it down. Like, you know, whatever culture you're in that, you know, that's the example that you hold up on a pedestal. I mean, it makes so much sense if the experience of God is available to man that sooner or later, somebody's going to have an experience that like rings true for like the people around him as well. And this happens like all over the place. It's still happening today. And I think that's where we, I mean, be grateful that there's these wonderful examples of people having the experience of God, but that's what they were people. The Buddha was a person and the Christ was a person. And the Cain is a person and the Luke is a person. It's like, it's not even because we even get caught up in like the Christ consciousness or like the Buddha consciousness, but why not the Luke consciousness or the Cain consciousness? I mean, the, the, the being that you're in in your own situation and now just exploring that. And that's what the mystical side of things, I think, kind of reveals. And I think that's why we feel like that draw in that direction where there's, there's just a, there's a turn of, it's like my delusions of grandeur were never a delusion. It's like this weird thing that happens where you kind of just see 
what's available to everybody in human form. And we're better off just using Christ and using Buddha and using any of these other spiritual lessons as just, you know, a grateful source to point to. Yeah, let alone, I mean, if in terms of how big the universe is, there's only a fraction of people alive and dead very fractional fractional that have ever even heard the name Jesus Christ. So if you take the religion that says you can't get into heaven without Jesus Christ, well, you've eliminated 99.9 of humans that have ever lived just based on what Warren Buffett's famous quote is geography or culture right like that's you have to ask yourself does that make sense like does that make sense that we just the god that you serve in christianity in the religion of christianity wiped out 99.9 people because if if you narrow it down to a simple dot 2000 years is minute and then in that 2000 years maybe only 25% ever heard the name Jesus Christ. But guess what? Like humans have been around longer than that. Cause we just made the point that Buddha was before Christ. So the whole thing implodes as far as that one person from the gates of hell or, or the, or the gates of hell, like that option, that, that whole theory implodes just based on facts and science. Yeah, and Buddha and Christ were both good at really explaining just that. Like it's it's not it's not the Buddha or the Christ where anything has um been corrupted. It's just the dogma that came after with all of them. That Buddha it seems like especially like he doesn't even really talk about God in the same way. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that's kind of interesting in translation, um, trying to understand what he was saying, but. Well, with him, it's very clear to me that if you were say I, me or you had no religious background and never, never even read a textbook about anything as far as even heard the word God, G O D like never heard anything of that. If you're on the level of Buddha, you're not going to necessarily know how to even relate or put that in the words. You know the states of consciousness that you've... So so to give me, if I've never heard anything, but I have that breakthrough and I make it to this light, I don't know to attribute that to God. I just see right. it as a higher level of consciousness that I even may say, well, I found you know, something that gives me ultimate peace, but they didn't speak back to me. It's not a person. I can't can't put that as a in my image type thing. I just see Buddha as an untainted being like his whole life who learned a higher consciousness. And that's his interpretation is there is no interpretation because I don't have anything in my mind that corrupted it before. Which in this life, having the limits that we do, even in 
astral experiences. I mean, still haven't seen or anything that's talked back to us that says, I am God. So that's all like instilled. Uh, after this, you know, the last three weeks and the more committed, I've heard this before. I tweeted it out. If you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. After reading the books, Adventures Outside the Body, and hacking the outer body experience, and then understanding like everything about going out of body is energy, frequency, and vibration. I now have like a different respect for Nikola Tesla. Like what is going on here? Like this is not in just relating to other people that have found the secret that really resonates with me hard right now, because this dude was, you know, he said some pretty profound stuff as well, but this is huge. This is a big one. I mean, you could really relate if you're having those astral experiences or listening to those books, you're like, everyone's pointing to this. Yeah. And it, yeah, it makes you wonder about Nikola Tesla and, you know, Einstein and others where like, yeah, they must have been having astral experiences. Da Vinci, I mean, they would not have been able to talk about them in the same way. It's not like they can like Gene Hart start a YouTube channel or something. Um, and for the two of them to be so caught up in the material aspect of science, like it would be very, very hard to quantify like what that experience is. So I could see them like not even mentioning it. I mean, I can see myself not even mentioning it other than the fact that I have you and there's somebody to talk to. But I mean, you see it all the time where, um, the awakening is more of a solo thing. Like I could see, I could easily see myself like never ever mentioning it. For sure, because people don't have a reference point. It's like it's almost useless to even mention out loud. It's hard if I didn't have this or. I mean, it's, it's a good avenue to where we, we can at least communicate it. And if there's someone that wants to hear it, they can hear it. But even with my family, they're a hundred percent supportive of me. And if I come down tomorrow morning and I have a story, they're going to listen and accept me wide open. But as I'm explaining it, I know I'm like, you might as well not even say it because they love me and they respect me and they understand the pathway and they're listening, but I understand it's about experience and telling someone I was in a van that time traveled is an awesome story, but it's like, it's hard to tell that story. It's hard to tell it because I'm like, no, I was with a guy who was driving and he took me to another time. And I, I know they believe me, 
and that's the whole point. I know they believe me, but they didn't have that experience that I had. So they don't have the level of what I'm going to do now because I have that experience. Like I want to go meditate for 30 minutes because I know that the power of my thoughts could change the course of everything, you know, that I have to be disciplined. So it's fun to tell the story, but yeah, in terms of, I don't know when Tesla was here. Yeah, I just left tidbits of secrets. And when I hear that and I see that, like, there's a lot of people that completely understand what he meant. Like, there's a pretty large part of the population that understands that Tesla quote. It's pretty shocking, actually. But. Yeah, it's the same thing we always say about God. It's like people saying you believe in God versus you know, like having the experience of God. Like, lots of people believe in God. But from our point of view, like there's no such thing as believe in God. There's just the experience of God. And that kind of the astral stuff kind of is very similar to that from my point of view, where yeah, it's just so experience based that it's very hard to relate it to other people for sure. But once you have some experience and a little taste of that experience, then things get weird because it's like there, especially nowadays with like the social media and stuff, there is like this kind of high five club going on where it's like energy, frequency, vibration, drop an ego. Yeah. High five. And you get this high five feeling, but yeah, Tesla is definitely one of those. He was on to something. He was clearly having astral experiences as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think that was the whole crux of a lot of his experimenting. Like, you don't don't say what he said and and not have those experiences. And I think this platform is good, too, as far as not – because it's as though – I come on here and I tell an experience and, you know, I'm putting on the airwaves, whether one person hears it or, or a thousand people want to hear it. People can make the option of, it's not like we're forcing people to hear an experience that they didn't have. So I think the platform of us sharing it together and people having the option to delve into that is a good thing as opposed to, you know, I, hate to use my family as an example, but I'm going down and I'm, I'm sharing a story. They don't have a choice. I'm like, dad's coming down. He's drinking coffee. He's telling his story, but this is, this is, I mean, you can listen or you can not listen. And if you listen, that means you obviously have interest in this area. So I think it's a different way of, um, of telling that story. You're not telling it in a way that, you know, I'm basically telling it to you and whoever wants to listen can listen. And it's completely yeah, optional. That part, once you like put the podcast into play, I think what it turns into is it, at least in terms of the mystical stuff, like we were and are like, such at the beginning of the path 
And we both clearly understand that and are completely at peace with that. But then it gets interesting where it's like, if you roll this forward and we are making progression in that area and there's like a record of that progression, because I always think about, you know, that solo person that does come to grips. And I mean, you could be relating in the way that it's kind of roller coastery. You know, you have your ups and downs and just talking through the progress of, for the first time, you like stepping towards the mystical. I think that's the service that this platform provides is just humbly at the beginning, moving forward and seeing where it goes and talking about it as it happens. That does seem to be the theme and what we're committed to. No doubt. No doubt. It's accountability for me. So. Oh.